The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Hello, this is Harry Margolis with the Ask Harry podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Tim Borchers of Borchers Trust Law Group and with Chris Cahill of 12 Point Wealth Management about how you can protect your vacation home for your family. They, they in fact, wrote the book on the topic, Second Home Savvy. I'm glad to be joined today by Tim Borchers of Borchers Trust Law Group in Medway and Needham and Chris Cahill of 12 Points Wealth Management in Boston and Concord uh, because they have written the book on what you should do with your vacation home called Savvy Second Home. Did I have that right? Second Uh, Home Savvy. Savvy Second Home Savvy. Thank you. Good correction, but that'll make sure everybody knows what it is. And of course, a vacation home can be um, a terrific thing for a family to bring them all together in relaxation and just uh, getting together from all parts of perhaps the, the country and the world. Uh, for vacations, but it can also be the bane of their existence as they uh, fight over who gets to use it, who's going to take care of it, who's spending all the time either using it or or, or managing it. And uh, the question is, uh, how can you make it uh, the former and not the latter, make it uh, um, wonderful for the family and not uh, something that tears it apart? And uh, I thought we'd start just by talking about what, what are the issues that you see? Sure, sure. Well, I think um, the correct place to start is identifying that property. How do you know when you have an heirloom property? So I think Tim's got a great description of that, and I'll let him lead us Mm -hmm. off with that. Yeah, I think, I mean, the family knows it's an heirloom either while, let's say, mom and dad are still living because they've had it long enough that it's really growing on them, and they uh, they love being there, and they, they just can't picture with not being there. It's the kind of moment when uh, child or grandchild says, uh, you know, Grandpa, uh, I hope we get to live here someday. I hope we get to this place when uh, when you're not here. Is, is are, are we? You know, is that going <laughs> is that going to be the way it goes? And uh, you know, if Grandpa's being honest, he he says, um, uh, Well, I haven't seen my lawyer yet on that, but that's <laughs> our plan. Um, and that sometimes, however, it's also perceived as the heirloom for the first time after there's been a death. And mm-hmm. then you've got one, two, five, whatever heirs uh, getting together and saying, you know, we got a good thing going here. How do we keep this going? So so it sounds like there's two different issues here. One is, is, it, is the property one that you do want to preserve for the family, what you're calling an heirloom property? Yeah. And uh, then the other is, uh, when do you do the planning? And does it matter? Mm-hmm. Do, does it matter that the parent do it, or is it fine for the kids who inherit to right. do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And with the, the former, um, is it an heirloom? Oftentimes that... Um, can be a different answer depending upon who you speak to. Mm-hmm. Uh, mom and dad might view it as the best property in the world, and they love it. And sometimes the children enjoy it and go there because mom and dad are there and don't have that same connection. Um, so I think the one of the most important things to do right out of the shoot is to, if we think it's an heirloom, make sure that everybody else feels the same way and that there's commonality of thought because um, planning... Um, associated with the the second home, the heirloom property, um, oftentimes requires time, effort, energy. And I think you want to put that time, effort, and energy into something that is 
really warranted and, and appropriate for the family if they're not um, similarly situated and feeling the same about it. Um, maybe we just simply have a different design in place. Mm-hmm. But right out of the right out of the gate, I think we want to identify: is it an heirloom property? How does the family feel about it? If everybody feels as though this is something that we want to keep, then we're going to hopefully move forward to some some strategies as to how to preserve and protect it. But coming back to the initial conversation, initial question that you raised is, you know, what are some of the issues? Tim and I, and I'm sure you, Harry, have seen as well, every manner of issue as it relates to the second home. It's just that sort of asset that can create tremendous stress, um, battles, and it doesn't need to be that way. Mm. You can divide up a bank account, you can divide up a brokerage account or an Mm -hmm. IRA relatively easily, um, and people can take their share and go their own way and not be tied together as a family. But that house on Nantucket or that lake house up in Winnipesaukee, you know, they're going to fight tooth and nail for that if they don't feel like Mm -hmm. it's being treated equitably or they're not getting their fair share. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that we really want to try and avoid happening. What kind of issues have you seen with with second homes? What what, what do people fight about? Well, um, they do fight kind of like business owners would in inheriting a business uh, or family members in inheriting a family business. Um, And and some want to stay in, some some don't. So I think the first thing is, I don't want anything to do with this. This doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I live in Oregon now, and the property is on Cape Cod. Um, So uh, we want to plan around that possible uh, exit strategy for a, a member or two. The other things they fight about are, uh, you know, they're people with different gifts. As, as I used to say in my own family, you know, my oldest brother would be the one who would talk everybody to death. And I'd, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd write up all the rules and legalize everything to death. And meanwhile, my my uh, one of my two other brothers would be the ones repairing everything. Mm-hmm. By the time my brother and I finished talking everybody to death, uh, they'd have the place you know in tip-top shape. And uh, you know, uh, allocating those responsibilities, um, being willing to pay for the work when it has to be paid for, just having a pool of money to draw on instead of having to nickel and dime each other. Um, as heirs and co-owners of this uh, heirloom property. Um, so in order to avoid those kinds of disputes, uh, whenever possible, we're encouraging people to do something as simple as, say, the property shall be sold unless there's unanimous agreement. Mm-hmm. Or I'm putting aside $200,000 to help pay for it, and when the money runs out, it's going to be sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody wants to be a buyer, they have right of first refusal. Um, if there's more than one, then they can team up together or they can flip a coin or outbid each other. But you've got it, the tools in place um, with uh, the goal in mind of uh, preserving family harmony first and the property second. Could someone, I mean, you said in determining whether it's a, an heirloom property, um, getting the whole family together, but of course they might not be in agreement. Certainly. So it may be... Um, important to the parents and you, it sounds like you have three three brothers Tim and it might might mm-hmm. be important uh, to three of the children the fourth one who lives in Oregon would rather just get his his or her one quarter share um, and I, my, my assumption is that the parent could could make all sorts of different um, determinations based on that um, absolutely the parent the parent could say um, 
well, it doesn't matter about the Oregon uh, kid. If the, uh, this, is, uh, this is a benefit to the family, and right. you don't have to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. You can or you can't. Or sure. could say they're not going to be a beneficiary and we'll, we'll give Equalize them. Equalize with something else. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and is, is there, I guess, a, a right or wrong, and how, 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 how do you make these decisions? So I, I would I would chime in there, Harry, and say that there's no right or wrong answer for any one family, mm-hmm. right? We're all unique. Um, all properties are certainly unique. And that um, scenario that you just outlined depends upon mom and dad's views as to the property and equalization of the heirs. And, um, you know, could easily see a situation where they say, we're going to protect the property. Everybody will have access to it equally. And should you choose not to take advantage of that, that's fine. It's your choice. They might very well say that your one-fourth share of that property is worth a quarter million dollars. We're going to allocate other assets to you, and now you're out of that. Mm-hmm. That leads to other issues down the road, as we know as estate planners, mm-hmm. right, that you know that, that cash that that Oregon brother might receive could be dissipated. The property, say it's on Nantucket, for instance, could p- continue to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Property doesn't sell as, as readily and the, the family preserved it, you could see a, easily see a situation where there could be some um, bad feelings and hurt feelings coming from Oregon at some point if they felt as though they um, weren't now part of that. So these are all the things that we'd want to, mm. as a group, get together and kind of hash out initially. Sometimes you want the group and other times, uh, I like the expression to, to parents, uh, just lay down the law mm-hmm. and, you know, that's a the, great point, you know, yeah. because you get the committee and it's, a you know, and I, more of these plans have fallen apart because they've involved too many people and then you get the in-laws and everything else. So, so is that a reason? Uh, I mean, you said either it could be that the parent makes the plan yeah. or the parent doesn't make a plan and the kids make a plan. Would it be an argument for the parent to make a plan that, uh, mm-hmm. there, there are fewer people making the decision? So, yeah. so, yes, certainly, um, the, you know, the, the golden rule, right? The, he who has the r- gold makes the rules, <laughs> I think, is appropriate in this regard. What I would say, what, what we see all of the time, and as I'm sure you see in your practice, the default for the second home is very simple. I'm going to leave it in equal shares to my children because mm-hmm. they're, they're well-adjusted adults. They'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that quarter share to the children, on the face of it, seems like a perfectly logical solution to mm-hmm. a problem that they might even not even know that they really have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think more people are becoming cognizant of the issue today. The more battles that they see, their friends, their family members, they hear about these struggles and they don't want to fall into that, um, that, that story. That an- they don't want to be that anecdote. Yeah. Unfortunately, the default for most planners is to leave the property equally. Mm-hmm. That is a recipe for di- disaster from our perspective. We see it all too, too often. Um, I have a friend that's got a family property up in New Hampshire, and they're in the midst of a petition for partition right now, mm-hmm. a legal action to divide the property, and it is tearing the family apart. Mm-hmm. And it's, compl- it's, it's um, further exacerbated by the fact that mom and dad created this family compound. So their house was the largest house on the, on the mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And all of the siblings have houses around it in this community. And 
one of the siblings doesn't agree with the valuation and is really creating they're a thorn in the side of everyone else but they're all seeing each other on weekends it's just uh-huh. a disaster and, and, they, and they all own it equally they all own it equally right. and mom and dad if they could see what's happening now would be horrified mm-hmm. and i would submit to you i never met these people but i bet you if we had met them in advance we might have been able to speak to them about the personalities of the people involved and get them to see that there's a potential problem here coming down the road. So we always try as professionals to identify issues and hopefully cut them off at the pass before they blow into these sort of situations. So it sounds like there's a whole lot of issues that need to be covered, including ownership, uh, management, who's going to um, Absolutely. Uh, who's going to do the repairs? Who's going to make decisions about it? How do you pay for it? How do you pay for it? How do you um, allocate use mm-hmm. um, of, uh, I mean, access? Do you rent out the property or, That's right. or not? And then who's going to do the work to manage that? And do they get compensated? In and how long, how long are you planning on having this, this go? That's another right. huge issue. Right. Do you say that, uh, I think you said in the beginning that... Um, I mean, you could say if anyone wants out, then you sell it, or you could mm-hmm. say if a majority want out, then you sell, say it, or and then yeah. And how many generations does it go? Just for the kids, or does it continue for the grandchildren? That's right. I mean, I think the perception is that they want to keep these things in the family forever. Mm-hmm. Forever's a long time. Yeah. And then you start adding up all of the expenses of maintenance and upkeep, and the reality of the situation might be that thirty years is is plenty long. Yeah, it might be way too long, actually, because, you know, <clears throat> what I see is that if the vacation property in question it probably occupies more than 25% of the value of the overall estate, it's going to be difficult in many families to find those offsetting, equalizing assets. Um, but even before you get to that point of having uh, the discussion over what do we how do we settle it? Um, yeah, if you can have mom and dad say, we're going to create a flexible plan, we're going to set out the price ahead of time, or at least a formula for that price, maybe a discount for the the price, if you will, or the cost, uh, opportunity cost of being able to keep it in the family. And, you know, you want to get bought out, well, you're going to take, uh, you know, a, a 30% haircut. Mm-hmm. Um so if, if those things are done, then <clears throat> um, and if the asset isn't too big in the estate, then we can find other assets to offset. Maybe we can continue to carry life insurance to help fund a buyout or fund the operation of the property. Maybe we can rationalize having uh, a limited term like 10 years, uh, 30 is great, a gen- mm-hmm. whole generation. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, it might be 30 years from today because you're planning with people who are in their 70s and you say, well, if you can get 10 years beyond their lifetime, Mm -hmm. that's basically 30 years. Um, That's plenty um, and that's affordable and they, most people can make it work out for 10 years. I Mm -hmm. mean, they can get along that long. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the time you get into then it's cousins and second cousins, uh, that's where the real grief is going to come into it. Uh, so uh, I love the idea that you build something that is flexible, that maybe has some milestones. You know, I've gone as short as two years after mm. the death of the current owners to as long as 30 to 50. 
Um, but maybe there's a, a review after five, there's a review after 10. May, those might be exit points. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And as people want to get out, um, you know, they're not going to want to think, oh, I get out now with a 30% haircut and then my brothers and sisters sell it in three years and make a killing. Right. So, you, you know, it, that's where we can have fun as lawyers. Yeah. You know, we <laughs> anticipate some of that stuff, uh, you know, some, some recapture of, of that profit. So. so it sounds like there's uh, at least um, two and maybe more than two points where decisions have to be made. One is um, immediately after the death of the parents or the last parent to s- survive – whether someone, a child, wants to participate in the in the house, or whether they take uh, uh, take their share from other assets, and then later on, at some point in the future, they want out. Right. Absolutely. And it, it sounds like I hadn't heard, I, I hadn't thought about this concept of of having specific times when that Make comes to that, head. Chris, we know more than. Than Harry on something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's not many on that no, list. Tim. Sure. On my I, side, I should say. I, I, I wouldn't say that, but that's uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's that sounds good. And yeah, yeah. Um, and so, how does it work? I mean, since this is new to me, this idea that you would um, say after five years, someone says, "Okay, I mean, it turns out I thought I was going to use mm-hmm. the house. I'm not. I'd rather be bought out." And they're bought out, and then mm. two years later, the other two kids say, uh, well, "It's time to time to sell." And, and that first child's taking this thirty percent haircut. How, do, how does that work? You know, I love to have that conversation with the parents and thinking ahead and say, "Yeah, let's say you know John versus Jane. Uh, John wants to get out, and Jane wants to stay in." Um, you then have a decision tree, uh, and so you might decide, well, <clears throat> if that happens between my kids, then I want anybody who doesn't want to be part of it to be able to pull the plug. But mm. they've got to stay in it for at least five years because that would be great. Imagine them still vacationing together, getting together for five Great. But um, at that point, pull the plug, and it's a, an outright sale. That person can be bought out, but it's full fair market value. Um, when you present that option to the couple planning, they might say, ah, it sounds a little uh, abrupt. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. else could we do? Well, you could say that person can get out, but maybe the first exit point isn't until 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a, you know, a good long ride and they just have to bide their time. You know, yeah. Maybe they're not going to pay in uh, mm-hmm. when there's a call for money, uh, but eventually they, they will see a payday. Um, but you can also say, well, you've got three kids and two of them want to stay with it. Why don't you let the other two buy the first one out when they want to get out, but make it affordable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, what do you think they could afford? So it might be like, oh, I think they could pay $150,000 each. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, largely, let's face it, a middle class and upper middle class problem because if you're really wealthy – I mean, like, I don't think the Kennedys really struggled over whether, you know, Teddy c- could get the house in Hyannisport and who was who else was going to get paid something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that was somehow a struggle. But it, it's really the problem for the rest of us that are like, you know, how are we going to make this work for the next generation? So um, what's affordable? Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, well, 150, well, do you think 150 is still appropriate if you die 20 years from now? Is mm-hmm. that still the number you want? 
Yeah, I see your point. Well, uh, how do we adjust for that? Well, we could adjust for inflation or we could, you know, just put another formula on there or no, I want a maximum amount, the parent might say. Make, you know, it's no more than 150000 Okay, then that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, uh, you know, you, you, you then might point out some unfairness that could result yeah. from that and how do we resolve that? And we can come up with, with drafting solutions to that. Um, and then I think the final more extreme uh uh, would be that no, everybody's stuck in this for years and years and years to come, and the only time anybody gets uh, a chance to be to exit is uh, at either much longer milestones or you know there's a death, and when they die, they get exactly what it was worth when I when I died. The parent would say, mm-hmm. I had one of those situations, and um, yeah, uncle some so and so was 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 going to die. And the, this trust had gone on for, uh, it was supposed to terminate 30 years and it was only about 20 years into it. Mm-hmm. And the trust provision said, um, when somebody dies, their estate gets their proportion of what it was worth when I died, the, uh-huh. cre- the creator of the trust. Okay. Well, that's, that's fine. If that's yeah. what they wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know, it works. You know, meanwhile, the house has gone up in value, you know, seven times. Wow. But, yeah. You know, whatever. Well, it keeps them from having to come up with a lot of money to, to pay the estate. It does. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. <laughs>